Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, welcome to NXS Access All Areas, Episode 7 for the podcast that aims to dive deep into the legacy of this awesome band, whilst also educating newer and passive fans about the greatness of NXS and rewarding Uber fans who enjoy the passionate dialogue between you and I and everything about the band. Hello, B. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Hayden. Yes, it's a great journey we're on at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, again, we've uh, enjoyed uh, the last couple of weeks, but I think I'm actually looking forward to this episode the most this week for a few reasons, um, some that you've been very instrumental in. One, uh, we have just actually uh, attached ourselves to Apple iTunes as of today. Is that right, Boo? Yeah, yeah, it's going off already. People are finding us on iTunes, which is really good. So if you're um, Apple-based, then that's the place to find us, I suppose. And please submit as well. And then, I'm sorry, not submit, subscribe. Okay. It's great. Yeah. Well, for a technological Martian like me, what is the thing mm. for listeners out there that we are now on iTunes? Just in simple speak, explain it to me. So it means it means for us, and it means for us and in excess, that we will be more out there for the fans, the fans that can't find us, the fans that aren't on Facebook, the fans that are all over the world. Um, Apple is um, a great platform to find um anything to do with in excess and music. Mm. So our, our goal is to get the boys into the Rock Hall of Fame. This is the way we're going to do it because the more we get people on board, the more that we can actually then start to get more motion with this and get the get the ball rolling. So we want to be on Apple and we want as many people subscribing as possible. Okay, that sounds good. So if I had to say Spotify and Apple, who's Pepsi and who's Coca-Cola? <laughs> um, it, yeah. Well, we've got two Coca-Colas if you want to be diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah, I suppose they're both Coca-Cola really, aren't they? Because my um, is that they didn't they pivot, you know, from the, the normally sort of uh, – Dollar forty nine a track to suddenly go into streaming. Like they have just updated their platforms to allow people to sort of have a streaming type setup, mm, mm, song yeah. purchase basis. It's, yeah, and and also they they've stayed, they've made the categories easier. So if you have got um, a MacBook or um, a, a late, latest version, or you've got an Apple iMac, then you'll have an actual icon for the podcast right on your um, screen. So you can find out, go go straight to your library instead of going through um, all of the iTunes or all of Spotify. So it's it's making life a lot easier for people to find things. All right, and, well, uh, what they what yeah. they like. Well, put them into their libraries. Well, look, everybody's you know digital and, and you know things at your fingertips these days, so it's good to be part of that. But I guess it really mm. is enough of the geek speak. We've got to start talking about NXS, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. How was your week, actually? How was your NXS week? You no, always ask me about mine. You've never asked me that before. I'm really glad by episode mm. seven you finally asked me. Huh? <laughs> so <laughs> I feel very, very special now that you've asked me. But um, look, I have had a, a, a really good week. I've um, 
you know, we, we have sort of alluded to through some promo stuff that we are going to really dig deep into, you know, the career of John Farris and his contribution mm. to the band. So I will pause on a bit of a, an editorial on that, but it's been really interesting sort of diving deep into John's sort of uh, catalogue of songs and technology and different things that he's contributed as a musician. And um, it's really given me an extra sort of element of verve uh, and spark for this episode. So I can't wait to get to topic of the week. Mm. I, I get excited because I don't know what you're going to come up with because you're you're the guy that um, gets me the, the running sheet together and you just send it to me probably on a Saturday afternoon and I go, okay, we're going to talk about this this week. So I have no idea. So I'm just as excited <laughs> as the fans. And I, I don't do as much research as you. So I come in as just as, you know, to, to learn just as much as what the listeners are listening to. So it, it's, it's good it's fun. A, it's, a, it's a real uh, topic and information dictator. Tailorship, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I never know what's coming. <laughs> well, look, you know, I, I, I guess you know your abilities in promo and all the uh, promotional stuff uh, really makes up for my total shortcoming. So it's my, my little way of contributing. But uh, um, getting back to last week uh, with our episode on underneath the colours, it was some really good feedback, I guess, throughout the week. Very and, much, yeah. yeah. It's a good feedback. It's interesting seeing people's you know responses to certain songs they enjoyed and. Um, I think it, it's something that's nice about the album reviews, just hearing people's um, mm. own experiences of the songs, isn't it? Mm-mm. And still we're having lots of reviews come back as well. Um, Pedro, did you see Pedro's comment I that I sent you today? I, I did, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, so, so. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I like Pedro. I think my first dialogue with Pedro maybe was about six months ago where I reckon, you know, I, you know, he'd say tomato, I'd say tomato, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, and we'll get, we were jousting it back and forth, all in, you know, good spirits and whatever there. But uh, since we've sort of announced this podcast, um, he's saying tomato like I'm saying tomato. But uh, we love his input and we love, um, I think we oh, maybe yes. invited him to come on to one of our shows when we, yes. well, when we do a Zoom call, I think. Is that right? Yes. Yes, we're going to. Do you want to tell everybody about the Zoom call? Because that was your idea. Yeah, we're going to wait till we finish off the episode, but I've got that down in my sort of – so just uh, we'll give listeners a hint about that. But uh, um, Mm -hmm. I do know last week we we had a bit of a twist on our cover song of the week, wasn't it, I think? Yes. I must give credit to you. You came up with that idea. Um, It was almost like a reverse cover version, wasn't it? Mm, Yeah, it's a a reverse cover. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe for the listeners who didn't hear it, do you want to just share with us what you you suggested and what we put out last week? Okay, so it's a beloved song of ours, isn't it, The Loved One? Yeah. Um, so the song was called The Loved One by The Loved Ones. Yeah. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And it was um, actually um, in the year of 1967. Yeah. There's a special lady born on that. Oh, okay. Know, as well. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, it was reversed. So um, The Loved Ones actually put that out in 67. Um, but I think um, In Excess were like a little bit more successful with that song. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. When so, they did it as a cover. So, I guess interestingly, you know, it probably falls under that category that the cover version has become more famous than the original. So yeah, it, it's a bit like that in good times from NXS. A lot of people know, mm. you know, the NXS versions of those two cover songs. Um, and NXS, as we've said in a prop, uh, last week's episode, covered the, the Love One originally in 1981 between the debut and the second album, and then they updated mm. it in 1987 for the Kick album. Um, mm. The writer of the Love One song, Jerry Humphreys, 
let me just say that he was more than happy for NXS to re-record it for the Kick album, given the songwriter royalties that came back his way. So yeah. if you think about Kick, which has sold close to 20 million copies, and the way royalties work is they apportion, um, depending on the amount of material on an album, but you know, that was one song with songwriter royalties. So there was a cut of every sort of record, album, cassette, CD, whatever sold, uh, going back to that songwriter for that song. So um, he was more than happy for NXS to re-release that on kick. Yeah, I bet he was. I bet he was. Yeah. <laughs> sit, sit back and relax and kick. <laughs> yeah. But it got me sort of thinking a little bit about cover songs that probably the cover version ended up being more famous than the originals. I don't know if, mm. if off the top of your head you know any of those, but I did, you know, when I was preparing for the episode, think of a few songs out there that we – People may not know that are cover songs, but um, they are, and they were probably superseding the original. Do you, do you have any off the top of your head that you can think of? Ooh, um, oh, gosh, no, I that's don't. That's okay. That's no, okay. Got, I, you put me on a spot. That's okay. It's a question without <laughs> notice, but here's a couple for you may not realise. Um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Yeah. It was sung by, originally sung by a guy. No. Correct. Really? Yep, absolutely. I did. I thought she wrote that. No, no. <gasps> All these years, I thought that was hers. I no. thought she owned it. Here's Ooh. another one. Here's another one for you, Betty Davis Eyes. Ooh. Who is that written for? It was well, Kim Carnes was the one who had the big hits with it or hit with it, but yes. originally recorded by another artist and it was might have been seven or eight years earlier, I think. But yeah, she she uh, had the big hit with it and I, I think what made it a big hit was the keyboard part around that sort of, you know, new romantic era mm. had very powerful keyboard added. So that that yeah. was there. Um, even was talking like a little help from my friends, which was on Sergeant Pepper's, which you know was well known for Ringo. Um, I reckon the Joe Cocker version at Woodstock became a bit more famous than the original. You know, oh. um, you know, ah, little help from my friends. You know, ah, yeah, little help. No. You know, he sings that rural. No. You know, no, like, I've not heard it. I'll uh, have to listen to it. You must. I'm have. not really a Joe Cocker fan. <laughs> I'll have to because I'm so different to you. <laughs> yeah, I will have to go and uh, find that one out. Wow. I like how you make me go and find things. Okay. Well, <laughs> look, yeah, we're here to educate, you know, as well as inspire. But uh, so, yeah, but it's just interesting. I think the NXS probably everybody knows that song and NXS have probably adopted it, but it was a uh, originally, you know, a cover and I thought it was a really cool twist on their cover segment last week, B, so kudos to you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, uh, I went uh, I went onto eBay and looked for some um, records of Night of Rebellion mm-hmm. and I found a couple. Did you see that? I saw someone posting today their cover, sorry, their, well, their, their actual uh, single cover, their 45, saying, oh, you know, look at me, just showing off, <laughs> et cetera, there. Um, oh, did you that, see was that? Sue D. Was that was Sue D. That was Sue D. Now, Sue D is, is quite famous in the NXS um, world. She um, toured with them oh, okay. as a fan in on the Listen Like Thieves um, tour. In fact, she was at Birmingham Odeon at the same time, eating a packet of salt and vinegar crisps and drinking vodka. That's my type of girl back then. <laughs> Classy San Diego. Yeah, 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 classy. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, but um, the one on eBay was going for just over $80 Mm. for that little 45. So it is very precious. 
But I've seen that someone get a few hundred bucks or whatever there. So, you know, it was a pretty mm. rare cut. I don't think they, they, you know, the, the rare the amount of issues that went out. A bit like searching, this, the 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 CD was the full, uh, sorry the single was the fourth one off uh, elegantly wasted. That literally mm. was getting released around the time that uh, unfortunately Michael passed, and I think they deleted the the and you know deleted the actual release, and there was certain copies in circulation. Maybe only five or ten thousand, which uh, NM will will uh, correct me on. But uh, I, I believe that was a, a, a deleted s- a CD single, and there's very few in circulation around. So, mm. um, for all those bona fide collectors out there, Night of Rebellion, I guess hold on to it. It might be worth more later later on. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely hold on to it, especially the signed one. Yeah, time for some news. For the in Excess News with Hayden from around the world. All right, welcome to the news uh, chart watch, which we'd like to open up with. In Excess Greatest Hits has held firm at 33 in Australia this week. So no ups, no downs, held firm, steady, rock solid. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will uh, hope that it rises a little bit more, but uh, that's the status for that. And in other news, it actually is Gary Gary Beer's birthday this week. He turns the big 6-3-B. Happy birthday. <laughs> Who would have thought? 63. 63. He's actually the oldest member of the band. I didn't realise that. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. He doesn't look that old, though, does he? He looks great. He may have had a bit of LA treatment <laughs> in his time. <laughs> Subtly saying, it's okay? No, no harm in a little bit of that. Good on him if he can do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, happy birthday, Gary, sixty-three, and uh, still pursuing the you know the musical dreams as he is with Ash and yeah. Moon. So, uh, what on to Gary? Yeah, still rocking um, it. And yeah, and uh, in another little bit of news uh, in the US charts, just released overnight, uh, "Break My Heart," the NXS sample has gone up three places to number twenty-six. Ooh. I didn't notice that it, I think it had peaked at 21 a few weeks ago. So it's, it went back to 39, now back mm. up to 26. So maybe it can get into that top 20 and mm. get a little bit of uh, presence for excess because it is a heavily sampled riff. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of chart direction there as well, B. Oh, it's good, isn't it? It's, I, I, like, I like the fact that it's staying there as well. So how many weeks has it been in the mm. charts? I think it's been 11. Wow. That's quite good, mm. isn't it? Excellent. Yeah. Excitingly, in the last week or two, just, just to let some of the listeners know, in Australia here, there's been a big push from the music community. And I guess with COVID-19, there has been a lot of artists, I'm sure, globally in various countries who essentially can't tour because of just the virus and what it represents. And musicians, you know, touring has probably been the lifeblood of their earnings in the, the last, say, 10 years since sort of streaming took over and album sales seemingly, you know, have, have, have plummeted for most artists with all file sharing and things. So uh, I know in Australia mm. there's been a, uh, an estimation there's been about $340 million lost in touring sort of revenue and receipts and things for bands and artists. And I know in excess have signed a petition here in Australia to our, with our government yeah. along with a whole bunch of other uh, musicians uh, and one of the, I think those musicians is a lady called Tony Charles, who had some hits in the late 80s, who lives in Australia now. Um, yeah. But they're all banding together to try uh, create a movement called Come to Our Aid and try to get some support because I reckon musicians 
are the first people when there's a, a bushfire on in Australia or there's been a, oh, yeah. a famine overseas or, or you know, uh, you know uh, some sort of, you know, na- uh, international, um, uh, you know, uh, incident. They're the first ones to put their hands up. and go, together. Yeah, yeah. Go concerts, raise money, et cetera there. And I just think they that. They bring people together, don't they? Yeah. They, they they're yeah, exactly. And, so, and, and yeah, we should support them back. Yeah, they're doing it now from their living rooms, from their homes and whatever they're doing mm. COVID. But, you know, if you take away, you know, a musician's, you know, you know, royalties these days from, you know, a lot of the music they release because of lower album sales and now you take away their touring income, which then feeds into their merchandising, well, you know, no wonder they're probably going to be struggling. And there's many a great band, I'm sure, and artists. You know, not 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 maybe the, you know your Madonnas and U2s. Those guys are insulated, but you know, maybe your your, your rank and file touring musician who relies on it. Um, you know, I'm really mm-hmm. proud that Nixis, you know, put their name to that petition, and you know, they do hold some clout. And you know, um, you know, good on them for for being a part of that sort of movement here. Yeah, good on them. Yeah. And good, yeah, and, and sign that petition, everybody. Yeah. Um, also, too, uh, a lady called Shelley Pike, and some really nerds out there like me will probably know who she is. She actually uh, had a co-write on the song Perfect Strangers off uh, the Switch album, and there was a Gary uh, uh, track that he wrote along with her and one or two other co-writes. Um, she's done a interview on the Hustle podcast, a, a podcast that I'm a big fan of with John Romero, and talks a little about the writing process and how that song came together. And she's quite a prolific artist. She wrote um, quite a lot of material. I think she might have written that Meredith uh, uh, Brooks song, uh, I'm a Bitch, you know, <laughs> I think. Uh, not that I am. But, uh, yeah, she's written quite a lot of things over time. But, um, yeah, that's a little handy aside on, on the Hustle podcast. And, again, John's actually been quite helpful for, for us putting this podcast together with some advices and things. And, yeah, do yourself a favour and download his one. It's, it's a very good listen, uh, all the artists that he has on. Um, yeah, uh, so that's that's a kudos to him. Uh, I think he might even have. I think he might have even done a Mark Opitz podcast as well back in. Oh really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's done a Mark Opitz one, which was very fascinating. Listen, so um, mm-hmm. that probably even is better than the Shelley Pike one, to be frank with listeners, because you know mm-hmm. there's a little bit more about in excess in that one. Um, mm-hmm. And the last little thing there uh, for overseas fans, um, you should. Google Port Adelaide Football Club. Now, Port Power or Port Adelaide Football Club have a uh, sort of a, well, an Australian famous president, and this particular president's a guy called David Koch. Uh, David is a uh, media guy here in Australia, but he's a lover and a massive fan of NXS. And about three, four years ago, they appropriated in a good way Never Tear Us Apart as the countdown song with 30 seconds to go before they bounce the ball or kick off, as you might call it, or tip off or whatever sport you're into. So there is some footage of John and I think Tim and – Yeah, I've posted it before. I'll have have. to find it again. Well, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so there's some cool footage of the the band members actually at one of the games and, you know, walking walking off the ground. But essentially what happens is about 30 seconds to go – uh, before the game starts, they do the uh, the big um, sort of montage where it's like, dun, 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 dun. and the crowd will get in and sing. And look, with COVID at the moment, there's very you know, few crowds around, but yeah. you should. 
do yourself a favor and Google this. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah. And well, we'll put it. We'll put it on the page as yeah. well. No, no. My understanding is Koshi yeah. um, actually went to the same school as Michael. He might have. Yeah. Although, a bit younger. Yeah. I, look, I don't know. I mean, he may have, but he. I mean, over the last say ten years, especially, he hosts sort of yeah. um, like if anyone wants to download some NXS interviews, you you put in Sunrise uh, and then NXS. There would be at least six or eight interviews there with band members, yeah. um, Richard Lowenstein, you know, uh, stuff about the documentary, stuff about the miniseries, stuff about, mm. you know, Michael. Well, there's been some really good interviews there. Uh, as they say, I think Koshi's uh, in the excess. They're all good friends of the po- program together. Um, and mm. there's been lots and lots of interaction between them. So um, I think, you know, Koshi's a massive fan and, and I just saw some footage the other day. I thought, oh, this would be really good for overseas listeners that they may not know about Australian rules footy. But, yeah, it's a really good way they've taken the song and added some real anthemic uh, crowd element to it, you know, which is great. Hey, this is Tim Farris and you're listening to Access All Areas with Hayden and B. <laughs> And now for Topic of the Week.
Well, that was Drum Opera by John Farris. How good was that song? That really stirs you up, doesn't it? Bit of a, a, a drumming tool to force that one, mm. wasn't it? Oh, I love it. It's, it's a, a proper driving song, isn't it, for the car? I love it. It really stirs up the emotions. I think I've said before, you must be dead if it doesn't stir you up, that song. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, I guess we're excited to do our you know, first sort of band member deep dive uh, into their career, their contribution, everything they've sort of put into an excess with a few little tidbits outside the mm-hmm. band. And um, today we are talking about John Farris, who let's just say that uh, he's been always very, very popular uh, with everybody, even yeah. some of the ladies in his time. Uh, B, is that right? I think so. He's still got a lot of lovely fans out there that um, go all crushy <laughs> over him. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I think for for John, you know, his contribution to the band, uh, which I'm sure we're going to say about all of them, can't be underestimated. But I think when we look back over sort of the time, um, you know, we're going to put a montage on soon just with some of his contributions. Mm. But he's been enormous, you know, for the rhythmic sound, you know, how he links up with sort of Gary with that sort of back end power mm. sound in the band, and uh, who can forget him sort of coming out at Wembley oh. Stadium uh, yes. and uh, having that rear shot yes. there. And I'm not talking about the rear shot of his but the rear shot of the crowd and him putting his fist in the air that's iconic isn't it yeah yeah and the story that he went out there on his own and while the others were still um, backstage and then they heard him start off um, and they all ran back out there to uh, join him on stage it's great it was like like they say it was um, yeah he's he's like the pinnacle point isn't he yeah, so drummers generally, you know, count time that really help, I guess, you know, the guitarists and keyboards and then vocals come in. So John's always sort of been, I guess, a cornerstone of just getting everything going and, and being such an important sort of sound and influence on the band. I guess just a little bit of backdrop for those who don't know sort of the sort of John history. He actually, unlike Gary, is the opposite end. He's the youngest mm. in the band. I think he's born in October 1961. But yes, he's the youngest. Um, I guess probably if you've known much about the background, he was... The, uh, one of the reasons the man went from New South Wales over to Perth when uh, the Farris parents went over there because John was uh, probably deemed to be too young yes. uh, to be going off by himself. So the band's fo- sort of followed the Farris uh, uh, parents over to, yes. to Perth. And, yeah, I guess John himself, uh, in, in my opinion, has been pretty much sort of like the George Harrison of the band. And I don't mean from a, a, a sort of a drums versus guitars sort of point of view. I, I think just as the band grew, John's songwriting and his contribution Contributions became more evident. So, you know, George Harrison on uh, Abbey Road and sort of Let It Be and some of those albums had a bit more of a songwriting presence. And uh, I think from uh, John's contributions as the band grew, you know, songs like Disappear and The Gift and things will highlight a bit more later, became sort of quite eminent in the songwriting choices for singles off the albums and, and also tracks that would make the final album. So, you know, John himself uh, has a lot to be proud of, I think, B, in his contribution. Yes, he should be very proud. I mean, he was one of the first people to play around with um, the computers when they were coming out for music. And uh, yeah, I think I've read something about that. I'll have to go back and have a look later. It's when they were in Hong Kong together, him and uh, Michael. 
Yeah, but they did. They, they, they lived together, so it probably lent itself a lot, you know, John being the musical one, Michael being more the lyrics guy. So um, most of John's, you know, rides are co-rides with Michael. So, uh, you know, the time they spent together definitely had an influence on the, the rate and the amount of uh, songs that they end up mm. putting on albums. In terms of just influences, I think, you know, doing uh, the rounds a bit, and if you look back on John, you know, he's he definitely um, growing up, I guess, as a child of the 60s and the 70s, you know, has often said in interviews and things that the sounds of sort of Motown and, and Bob Marley and reggae and, you know, Curtis Mayfield and a lot of the sort of the British music of the 60s, like the sort of the Beatles and the Stones, had quite a big a, a effect on his mm. style. Um, I know Stuart Copeland, who was always renowned as one of the best drummers of his era yeah. in the police, you know, was an influence. Uh, I know Led Zeppelin, The Pistols, uh, Brian Eno uh, and Chick, you know, with Nile yeah. Rodgers. Uh, uh, was a massive sort of thing that probably influenced uh, over, you know, his uh, career in NXS, you know, uh, John's style as well. And I think we've talked a lot about the versatility mm. in their songs. Well, you know, John has a big say in that based upon yeah. some of the rhythms and, and time signatures in his drumming mm. that uh, is very influenced by a broad sort of scale of, uh, yeah. of influences. So, um, you know, for some fans out there, they may not quite hear it, but when you know people are influenced by something, you might go back and listen and go, oh, you know, that drumming on Disappear's got a very mm. Motown-y sort of time signature, mm. which it does. You might go back and listen to Original Sin and go, wow, you know, apparently John nailed that in one take, which is a real funky sort of drumming sort of part to that song. And I know Niall Rogers was really uh, inspired to work with NXS because oh. of John um, and uh, knowing his performances and things like that and abilities wow. as a drummer. I know, B, you probably don't always nerdish like me, look at all the intricacies but do you have sort of a John moment that sort of stands out to you you know from a, a fan uh, point well, of view apart from the Wembley um, the Wembley gig um, the don't change video when he comes then when he's playing and they all yep. come in I mean that that that's quite a yep. moment on, on video but um, yeah, yeah and drum opera is one of my favorites that's why we played it in <laughs> well what we thought we would do just for the slightly less informed listeners or those who are informed is do a little John montage of songs that he's actually uh, contributed to in excess. Now, some of these tracks you're going to hear are very immediate to you. will know them very, very much off by heart. Uh, but there'll be a couple of B-sides, a couple of little things in our montage that we're going to share with you and uh, we'll come back and discuss uh, okay. after. Here we go.
sort of a, a minute or two about uh, John's contributions. I guess when you listen there, B, you, you can definitely hear he's quite involved more than some people recognise, isn't he, in yeah. all the songs that NXS have out. Yeah, now, now you've opened my ears more to John. It's it's funny, yeah. it's like opening up a little flower, isn't it? You know, all the buds and the and the, and the petals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can hear so much more in the music when you, um, when you concentrate on certain parts of it. Yeah, and and look, obviously Andrew and Michael are a dynamic writing combination, mm. and you know a lot of the hits and things came from them. But uh, I think part of you know recognition of uh, doing a, a topic on John is just to highlight that you know as a drummer, uh, there's not a lot of drummers around the world that necessarily have key songwriting roles. I mean, I think of maybe some like Don Henley uh, was pretty prominent in that mm. area. I think. Um, uh, I think it's Roger Taylor from uh, Queen. He wrote, uh, you know, Ray 
Radio Gaga, and uh, I think he might have written uh, what was the other one he wrote? Uh, it's a kind of magic, mm. um, you know, a few things like that. So he was uh, pretty heavily involved in writing. But mm. yeah, a lot of bands around the world, like you know, Larry Mullen in U2, probably is not mm. as prolific, although he gets no. nicely credited. Um, I think that um, you know Charlie Watts and the Stones, or mm. even Ringo, they didn't contribute a lot of songwriting stuff to their mm. bands. Where I think listening to these tracks, you know, yeah. John uh, was more than um, contributing to the NXS mm. um, canon. That's right. Um, is there any particular song out of those there, B, that stand out for you that you like a lot or gets a bit of a high rotation you or know. gets the toes tapping? You know. Back Online is a big favourite of mine and I was, like, blown away when I realised it when you told me that it was John. Yeah, look, I think um, it's an interesting lyric, isn't it, Back Online? I mean, that was mm-hmm. 1992, sort of almost yeah. pre-internet really going out, but it uh, it's, it's quite sort of... Uh, Nostradamus-like in its lyrical prediction, isn't it? You yeah, know? I know. Um, but one, one of the things that stands out for me with these is just probably how prolific Michael and John were together around 1989 to about 92. Mm. Because if I look at songs like, uh, what is it, Disappear, Back Online, Faith in Each Other, The Gift, um, the Gift which is probably 93. Mm. You know, there was around that little period there where I guess, as we said, they lived in Hong Kong together probably mm. and um, were able to sort of, you know, trade off from music to, to lyrics uh, amidst each other, you know? Mm, mm, mm. Couple of nights with a few beers and off they went. <laughs> probably, probably. Um, I guess in terms of technical prowess, something that is quite highly regarded, especially in a lot of music magazines over the journey, is John's, you know, innovation when it came to drumming and taking the sound and, and adding something to it. And uh, I know from a, an innovation point of view, you know, he was really always ahead of the technology game, which there's things now that the drummers do worldwide that, you know, have technological support that were probably deemed to be, oh, no, we don't do that, you know. Uh, back in the day. So things like computer sequencing and, and the software with that, you know, digital sampling, uh, some of the sort of the electric sort of augmentation where you're putting all this together uh, was very much, you know, John's beck and call. And I know other bands like U2 and other ones, you know, saw what he was doing and emulated some of those technologies mm-hmm. in their own craft. And, um, you know, playing bigger stadiums and bigger type venues, he was always trying to find ways to take that sound from, I guess, where he was up the back to the back row of a, of a patron who was yeah. watching the, the gig yeah. and the concert the yeah yeah and, and <laughs> never at the back though were you ever at the back <laughs> not really I don't yeah. know what it sounded like at the back but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know it's a sign of a good band if the person up the back feels like they're, they're mm. being played to it sort of connects and things but yeah, um yeah. um and, and yeah, I guess for John to write what he has written, you can't just always write drums, well, write songs with drum rhythms. I mean, John is, you know, capable of playing bass. He's played, you know, keyboards. Um, you know, he's been a great programmer. Um, I think he's got a good voice. I think there's some B-sides there and other songs where his voice is actually uh, mm. underrated. Mm. Uh, and, you know, from a, a capability point of view, I think having skills in those other types of instruments has allowed him to do work with other bands and work with other artists like um, I think Richard Clapton and I think he co-produced for for Jimmy Barnes and things like that Mm so he's sort of when he's gone into that sort of producers mode for them or as we all know on Original Sin 
that was sort of like Andrew saying to John on the original Sin sort of uh, recreation album. It was almost like a cover album of yeah. their own material. Yeah. You know, I think Andrew said, look, this is too close to me to want to uh, tinker with. You know, John, take it over to you. And yeah. I think John's recreations on the original Sin album are really, really good. Oh, amazing. I really enjoy that album. That's, that's yeah. in my top three, that album. Is it for you? Yeah, well... Look, it's not in my top three because it's not original, so I can't rank it that way. I, I sort of include that more when we do a, maybe a compilation podcast where mm. we maybe talk about the best ofs or the compilations things. I think I'd include it under that type of category and rank it in that type of comparison. Oh, oh um, I, I meant to however, play. I meant to play. To yeah, to I know. I, I'm just, you know, me the nerd. I just, I'm talking about rankings and how it stacks up and I'm things like that. I'm talking about enjoyment and pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But look, I, th- I think how they rework Beautiful Girl, um, mm. I mean, to me it's a nine with Michael. I think it's a nine and a half, you know, with, with uh, not so much, you know, um, uh, Pat Monaghan from Train who sung the Beautiful Girl lyric, mm. even though I, I was really impressed with that. But I, I like the way they rework that sort of yeah. song um, and we might put a little clip you know in a moment just for that um, just how they changed the actual sort of sound it became more of an epic song yes um, where it was more when Michael sung it, <coughs> sung it excuse me was more of sort of a Lou Reed understated mm. vocal yes where I guess the recreation of it was really really impressive mm. maybe we put a little clip on now oh well something onto the Facebook page in Excess Access All Areas and we had a few comments on the post. The post we asked was what was your favourite John moment? Um, so you already said what yours was. Was You just said yours was Wembley? Maybe. Uh, Maybe. One of them. I mean that, that's an <laughs> iconic moment. Uh, I'm going to have a think about mine while you read out some of the other people who okay. uh, took the There was a fair few people that actually said that and there was a few people that totally agreed on that. Um, And some people also agreed on on mine as well, the Don't Change video um, with his um, someone, uh, Foxy, kicking it old school with his small drum kit. Just adorable. That's true. Um, And again, Burn For You as well, the drum solo at the end of the song. Um, And then I got someone saying, yeah, when when he played shirtless in the Japan... um, video <laughs> so yeah rocking the royals burn for you is a big favorite and what you need <laughs> i think some of john's stuff is quite sort of subtle you know when you hear certain little things uh in the band one of them i was listening to a podcast uh a while back and it was sort of a new sensation where there's these little uh little sort of drum stays or these little pauses and then these little sort of little tweaks in songs and they've got little john moments on them so i reckon you know for fans who might be you know maybe learning a little bit today about you know how a drummer contributes to a sound 
why don't when you listen to the next few in excess songs when you play them on your streaming or whatever try listen for John maybe make yes. a John week for yourselves and mm. go out there and just listen to the little subtle things he brings in the little hooks and things like that like I, I loved in excess because of their guitar hooks but I also love them because of the hooks that John plays with the drums mm. and the little sort of subtle spaces in songs and then the little little add-ons and pauses and you know he's not just a four four to the floor drama four four that's all he does he's got such sort of variety and and dexterity and 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 and, and timing and uh, you know real full-on you know rhythm assault when necessary and yeah I think you know sometimes you know when I've researched this podcast I've spent time not listening so much to Michael or the guitars I'm just listening to John and it's funny when you just isolate your head onto one part of the band what you you, you hear for the first time sometimes you haven't noticed it but it actually comes to your ears so hopefully maybe all listeners can can do that in the next uh, next week have it have, have it as a John week you know uh, in homage to this podcast yes let's have a John week um, and yeah. John actually was named, uh, he had a few names. Um, did you know all these names? I'm going to give you a little No, list. I'm very interested in this. This is sort of uh, real <laughs> anecdotal stuff. So share with us, B. Tell us what you were researching today. <laughs> yeah, I love a little bit of research. So he was named, um, these, I'm sure he would have used though, these um, to book into the hotel so that um, he could get away with murder. So um, jet lag. One mm. um, louder. Mickey D and and get a Peroni, which is funny because that's what he used in the history of um, John Farris that was listed in their book Story to Story, which I do recommend everyone gets. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think Michael had some interesting names and for himself, didn't mm. he? When he checked into hotels, not to be noticed. <laughs> we'll keep those for the so, uh, Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, sort of for John, you know, John got a chance when he was about 26 to get involved in a production role with uh, Richard Clapton on his album, uh, which was Glory Road, uh, or Glory Roads, um, well, actually Glory Road. Uh, and that's an awesome song. And Richard, as we spoke about last week, was the uh, producer behind Underneath the Colours. So we might even put up on our, our Facebook page, Glory Road by Richard Clapton. Now, um, John doesn't co-write that, but he plays drums on it. And I know you spoke with Tim Farris during the week and he mentioned some of the contributions he put on uh, some albums that Richard had done, uh, not just Glory Road but I think a couple of other albums Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, but thinking back to John at 26 getting a chance to suddenly produce an album that 5-6 years earlier that artist was sort of the senior guy in town producing in excess so yeah. that shows definitely a lot of faith in John's abilities um, yeah. you know, musically speaking yeah I've also got a yeah. little bit here that you haven't mentioned about John's first bands before he actually played for In Excess because he actually started at the age of 10 playing in other people's <laughs> bands. So um, we've right. got um, Blackwater, Top Cat with a K hmm. and Fish and then he played with Guinness. Right. Well, look, I didn't find any of them on iTunes, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look, I think I think uh, you know what was what was great about John, especially you saw in the miniseries, is just sort of I guess you know wanting to hang out with the big brothers and join the big brothers band. I guess eventually, like all little brothers yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but uh, a couple of things, you know, for, for, for John, if I could, you know, just share is that outside the group, there's a few things that John's participated in over the journey uh, based on, you know, his cred and things like that. And um, I know uh, our friend MM. Uh, was uh, around in the studio at the time when InXS did a thing called Night of the Proms. Now, Night of the Proms is a sort of a European-type big orchestral uh, band thing where... Um, I think tunes get classically replayed out to audiences in sort of more of a symphonic sound, but um, it's quite a big thing in Europe. And uh, the drummer from Toto uh, got sick, and in excess, we're doing Night of the Proms in the early 2000s with John Stevens. And literally within 24 hours, John went in to play for Toto at that same gig or same event. Oh. Now, I don't know about you, but imagine having to play in a different band within a very short period of time. Yeah. No, all the drum patterns and sounds mm. to then go and perform. Now, you could say, oh, well, he knew Rosanna and, you know, Africa mm. and those, but they probably yeah. played 10, 15 other songs. So yeah. I know his ability to adapt and adapt. play with yeah. uh, Toto at the drop of a hat was more than appreciated and more than a, an exceptional effort uh, when you consider that. Well, I, I read earlier as well that out of all of them, Johnny was probably the most professional, says Chris Murphy. So yeah. that's that's credit to him as well, isn't it? Because like you say, he was so yeah. young, yet the, the, the most professional. Yeah. He would be there, and he would he was the the tight the tight drummer that brought them all together. Well, if you can play keyboards, drums, you know, guitar, you know, program, you become musical. You, you have more tricks and you have more toys to create sounds. And, you know, you don't come up with a song like Disappear just by being a drummer. You don't come up with a song like, you know, Back Online or The Gift by just being a drummer and having a percussive ability. So, you know, again, so the same sort of thing. His versatility uh, is the reason why he came up with those songs. A couple of other little things. Some people may not know this, but uh, in Australia, in the year 2000, obviously the Olympics were here uh, in Australia, and uh, John uh, Farris and John Stevens at the time, who wasn't with NXS, co-wrote a song for the Olympics called Carry the Flame uh, for the Australian Olympics, and it was one of the sort of theme songs on all the networks and things, and that was around about the year 2000, so I guess their friendship be probably, you know, was a bit of a uh, genesis uh, in them, you know, eventually maybe, um, you know, relationship building towards John Stevens then fronting yeah. sort of in excess for the first time after Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were, he was good as a front man, actually, I thought, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Noiseworks, which John's major band, is still one of my top five bands, and mm. uh, they still tour, you know, intermittently, maybe more through just John as a solo act. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I guess that's just a little bit of a, a statistic there that, you know, John Farris and John Stevens got together, and yeah. that's probably how it precipitated, how you know, maybe happened. John joining in excess. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, another little thing that I'd like to share, we're going to maybe put a little snippet into this as well. So I'd maybe be throwing this curveball at you, but I'm sure you'll come up with the uh, the uh, twiddling of the dials to fix it. But um, uh, about three, four years ago, I think it might have been five, um, uh, John approached the very famous cricketer called Sir Vivian Richards, who was the known as the Master Blaster. Mm -hmm. He was ranked in the top five cricketers in the last hundred years. Now, for our fans in America, they won't know really what cricket is, but just let's just call it a pseudo baseball game. <laughs> for those in India, New Zealand, uh, Sri Lanka, you know, maybe even parts of Canada, Wales, 
these are areas, Australia, New Zealand, whatever. Cricket is a very famous sport. Yes. So Viv Richards was the sort of the Michael Jordan of cricket. Mm-hmm. And John put together a song called Smoke and Joe, which was Viv's sort of one of Viv's two nicknames. One was the Master Blaster, the other one was Smoke and Joe. Oh. So this is a real funky, cool sort of song with some really good female backup vocals and Viv's in the clip and uh, it's got a very catchy chorus and we're going to put a little bit of a snippet on this because this is a real sort of a cool little exercise that uh, that John put out a couple of years ago. And if you haven't heard it, um, we might even post the full thing on the on the Facebook page, but it, uh, it's called Smoke and Joe, Take It Away B. Uh, Smoke and Joe, pretty cool and funky, AB. Yeah, very, very smoky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen to it a few times played it. I, re- I loved it at the mm. time. I haven't played it for a year or two, but it, I thought it's really, really good. I wish we got more John Solo material, actually. Um, yeah. Um, now, one thing I want to get B to share is that B has mm. done a bit of a deep dive for this episode and just found a little bit about the songwriting process that occurred between Michael and John and just how it is that they sort of went about creating some songs. So I might get you to read a bit of an excerpt B that you've sort of uh, come up with uh, which is awesome. Yeah, just found this little bit here. So um, John and Michael's home in Hong Kong was a bit of a creative recess for them and um, that you did disappear and one of the top selling singles from the X album and they said they was he was writing um, this new break he was writing on this new breakthrough software for the first time just learning how to use the computer and to compose and arrange the songs and experimenting with samplers and synths um, and he, he found it very natural and uh, so he turned the third bedroom into a studio home and um, Michael just overheard and Michael um, then just started writing towards the lyrics and and, uh, and write, reading books and stuff like that and it just came natural to the both of them really to write all these lovely songs that we know today so he'd be listening to what I was doing and writing the words for it and suddenly he'd pop in and get the microphone ready and roll the tape how cool is that yeah yeah, and it's sort of a bit like when Andrew, remember when Andrew turned up, you know, in Hong Kong with a bit of a sort of a, a riff of Need You Tonight. Next, you know, Michael takes it away, mm. comes back ten minutes later. <laughs> um, you know, and that really gets back to a lot of the creative genius of the band. But I think all great bands who hang out a bit, like you know, the Rolling Stones, hung out in 1971 in France at a big house, and they came out with one of their best albums, Exile on Main, Main Street. I mean, the Beatles, you know, were so in each other's pockets just by being near each other and being near inspiration. Often is how songs come about. Um, but I think that's awesome. But it's a great little sort of uh, sort of visual. I can visualise that. Yes. You know, John's you know creating away, and Michael's all 
walking past going, oh, okay, I can yeah. put a lyric to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and because it was all new and exciting and he liked all that sort of things, isn't he? Anything that's new yeah. and creative. So he would have Absolutely. been uh, thrilled with that. Cool. Yeah. So, um, look, I, I guess, you know, with, you know, with what we've gone through with John sort of in the episode, you know, hopefully everybody's just a little bit more sort of insightful now just about, you know, what John has been to the band, uh, what he did create, what he did bring in. We encourage everyone to go back and listen to the songs and maybe just put, you know, your John Hatton head on, you mm-hmm. know, so to speak, and, and just identify just some of the little creative things that he does that maybe you don't notice, you know. You know, Michael was a, a very omnipresent focal point, um, but I know when I want to get something out of an old song that I've heard a few times on the radio, I sometimes in my head go, listen to Andrew's keyboards or listen mm-hmm. to Gary's bass on this one. And sometimes you just find little nuggets of enjoyment mm-hmm. when you isolate your head back into one of the band members and it's a different way of listening to music sometimes but I think you know in summing up for John it's a great way that when we do these individual dives into each artist uh, or each band member it's a way of sort of really quite appreciating what it is they've brought to that song or to that track or to that album in some cases you know just Mm. their craft so Mm. we salute you John Farris thank you for everything and uh yeah Yes, and please come on the show one day. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for everybody who, who sent in all their their uh, favourite John moments. They're very appreciated. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Okay, well, today's rant is going to be slightly different because something came to Hayden on the internet, which was actually published last year in November, and he got very upset by it and so much upset that he's actually written an email and there's been a response to that. So, Hayden, would you like to tell the listeners about it? Yeah, thanks, B. We're going to probably do the rant with a little bit less tongue-in-cheek today, but um, there's a journalist called Raphael Larka who writes for a publication called Rock and Roll Garage. And, you know, I think we all love articles and music and finding out about our bands and members and all sorts of things that go on. But I think one of the hallmarks of journalism is that you've got to tell the truth and you've got to get your facts right and you need to research and give audience who read such stuff not diatribe or mistruths or half-baked ideas. You've got to have some semblance of, of integrity behind an article. Now, we contemplated reading this article out today and we looked at it, we Googled it, etc. there and unsurprisingly, a lot of the article's been pulled down Three quarters of it has been sort of taken out. But I'd like, like to read a letter uh, that I wrote to the journalist a week ago. When I, when I read this article, it was just blatantly wrong. I was upset for the band. I was upset for the family. I was upset for Richard Lowenstein. I was upset for the fans collectively out there because, you know, it's 23 years later and I think there's a lot more facts known about, unfortunately, Michael's passing than there were in 1997. So I'm just going to read to you what I wrote back to this particular journalist. I started off by saying, your depiction of Michael Hutchins' death and the anecdotal information around it must go down as one of the worst articles put out by an alleged musical journalism in the history of the craft. It's an embarrassment in research attempts, incorrect fight and exaggerations, downright mistruths, notwithstanding the grammar and the spelling. Have you heard of proofreading? For a band like In Excess, there was such a leviathan in the Brazilian market, your own country, you could to go down to a library. Yes, that thing that in most municipalities that have lots of books and archives and materials, 
and shall showcase all of the occasions that NXS headlined Rock and Rio. The same venue that should be able to unearth you, the coroner's report into Michael's suicide. Yes, suicide, as New South Wales State Coroner Derek Hand concluded on February 6, 1998, after sweating through copious volumes of evidence and facts. To smugly opine that Richard Lowenstein has come up with his breathtaking alternative view from 23 years ago of popular opinion that it was auto-asphyxiation is simply tripe. To say it's been propagated by fans versus ambulance chasing journos is disgusting. Outside wildfire theories in the first 18 months post Michael passing, the common rationale and official findings were suicide brought on by a combination of isolation from partner and daughter, struggles with Bob Geldof, drugs and mixed with alcohol, touring pressures with the band, and brain injury legacies. To flippantly label Michael as bipolar, addicted to ecstasy and cocaine, and addicted to antidepressants is amateur sleuth hour and virtually libelous in its mm. assertion. You can't even fact check that Paula Yates had three kids with Bob, not two, as you state. To suggest that Mike was so violent in a Copenhagen hospital towards the nurses they sub subsequently released him is revisionist, incorrect, and a complete distortion of the known facts. In the world of Google and numerous search engines, it's inexplicable that somebody purporting to be a rock journalist can deliver such an abomination in reporting. You should hang your head in shame. Oh, yeah, and to sum up your article in one description, the word mystery is spelled not with an I in it. Regards, Hayden Murdoch, co-founder of NXS Access All Areas podcast. Again, a little bit serious through there, but if you work backwards from what I've just said there, this particular guy has accused Michael of all sorts of things that just aren't the case. He has said that Richard Lowenstein has come out with his groundbreaking alternative view to Michael dying of auto-asphyxiation. No, no, Michael was and through the coroner, reported and documented side of suicide, not of any alternate particular reality. There was a lot of hyperbole around at the time and different things, but Richard Lowenstein is not doing a documentary to come up with a groundbreaking alternative to Michael's passing. He's got a documentary to celebrate Michael's life, to inform people of facts versus theories and grey uh, areas, and this particular journalist who has an ability to, to spell check, fact check, Google, whatever they're like. I'm not a journalist, and I spent 30 minutes fact-checking everything against what he said. So I just sent this letter as a form of protest against this article that he wrote, not expecting any return over there, but just to get yeah. the points out. Pleasingly, or maybe indirectly, we'll notice that the article has been heavily edited, heavily changed, and a lot has been taken out. But there's still some yes. mistakes in there. I guess all I can say as a fan, somebody who knows uh, a little bit about the band, um, not as much as others, but knows a reasonable amount, it doesn't take any ability to turn around if you're going to highlight a documentary that, that has been released to just do some basic fact-checking and deep diving. Cut and, cut and pasted a couple of rumoured articles over 20 years and come up with a, a narrative that is quite frankly incorrect. And I guess pleasingly, the essence of the article has gone down and you know a lot of the controversial stuff has been taken out. And um, yeah, I'm pleased that read what the original article was I'm being. Glad so, I didn't see it. Uh, a little bit more of a circumspect rant today, but, but yeah, I'm glad that... We didn't have to subject you to that. But if you work backwards from my letter, you'll be able to see where he was going with what was just complete falsehoods. I mean, to say he was released from Copenhagen Hospital for about to oh, attack nurses. On. I mean, come on. You know. I will repost it onto our page. So if you want to read it, it's there for you. If you don't, you don't have to. And I, don't, and I, don't, I won't subject anybody to go and look, look for mm. it either. Okay. 
All right. Well, that's a bit of a, a different yeah. rant, but well said. And thank you for standing up for the band and Michael. first one up today is a song we spoke about the other week uh, it was The Police's Don't Stand So Close To Me which was a big hit in 1980 and they re-recorded this in 1986 as their last ever single they did a bit of a rework of it but uh, it has special memories for me so play it away B because this was one of the first songs that was ever bought for me by my mum. Do you remember? We were in the we were clothes shopping and she yep. went, right, come on, we'll go out yep. and buy it. So yes, 
Good choice, Mr. Murdoch. Good choice. Right. Okay. What's your, sec- what's your second one today? My second one is, oh, this is great. I love singing this. I never get tired of singing this song. And it's um, The Pretenders and it's Brass in the Pocket. Got brass in pocket. Got Facebook and brass in the pocket. <laughs> Rather I? brass in pocket or Facebook. Or, yeah, yeah, you put the little bar in there, you know. Um, and it reminds me of the social network movie where he goes, don't call it the Facebook, call it Facebook. <laughs> um, good choice. Love brass in pocket. Love the diner scene film clip. My mum loved the song. I love the song. In excess, love the Pretenders. Thomas produced The Pretenders mm-hmm. and a little link there. Plus, I think even Blair loved The Pretenders, that yes, song, he didn't did. he, from last yeah. week? Yeah, that was one of his yeah. pleasures too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, good it's choice. A good, it's a good song. Very good choice. Okay, my number two is uh, a song in 1980 from a band called Devo, oh, uh, which uh, used to wear those funny little red hats, B. Did you get into Devo when you did? No, no, no. This is a pain for me. This is a pain. Got one of the best bass lines of all time. Crack that whip. Yeah, it's a good one for the dance floor, isn't it? It is good, but yeah, it's not going to yeah. be ever going to be in my collection. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's, it was, it, it, you know, it's still a pleasure for me. It's not painful. I'll stand by. Mm. Okay, my is it my third one now? Yep, yep. Yeah, okay. And now this lady is um, an actual icon, Barbara Streisand. And um, back in 1980, she was at number one with Woman in Love. had many crimes in the 70s but this is their first uh, song of the 80s and it's very uh, crime ridden so I'll let that oh let's go back to 
Go on then. What's your third? All right. Well, this this is a real favourite of mine. Uh, it's called Same Old Scene. Roxy Music, Brian Ferry at his elegant best in lounge lizard mode. Take it away, B. first heard on a movie soundtrack called Times Square, which was an all in the early 80s, might have been 1980, 81 or whatever, but uh, yeah, uh, I saw Roxy Music play it live a couple of years ago when they toured, and I think it's got an awesome uh, sound and beat, and you can see the influence this song had on Duran Duran and other bands around that sort of 1982 sort of period. Good choice, good choice. Can't go wrong with Roxy Music. They really did do a, a good job of uh, every song that they did. Um, I had a friend who um, actually um, had his 50th in Melbourne at a great club called Cherry. I don't know if you've ever been there. And he was mm-hmm. Brian Ferry. Yep. He dressed up as Brian Ferry and him and his band did all the songs. <laughs> and we all we all dressed up of 1980s um, music icons. So, yeah, it was good fun. What did I dress up as? Have a guess. A fairy. A bloody fairy, a music fairy. Tinkerbell. No. Rastafarian. I had to be (laughs) one of Robert Palmer's girls. Ah, okay. (laughs) Simply irresistible, huh? We've come to the end of episode seven, uh, and yeah, what a what a fun time we've had today, diving deep into everything from John through to uh, guilty pleasures and things. Uh, it's been a great show. Yes, yeah, it went down a little bit with the Michael thing, but that's okay. We have to do, we have to dive deep and dive back out again, don't yeah. we? Well, we always want to be honest, etc. There, and if you call something out because you believe in something, you know, in mm. life you should do that. So hopefully, yeah. you know, the message was there in the right sincere way, and people can understand that. Um, mm. Now, social platforms, just to reiterate, uh, I guess um, just want to remind listeners and things where they can not only listen to us, but also share out to uh, various people. Okay, so I I upload this um, podcast onto Podbeam, and that's our hosting platform. From there, it goes out onto our Facebook page. Um, The Facebook page is In Excess Access All Areas. Um, We also have an Instagram page with the same name, In Excess Access all areas and um, you can interact with us on all of those so your comments are oh, it's, it's so good for us to hear them uh, bad and good we love to hear a little bit of criticism 
not too much um, and uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> just come and chat to us whenever you like <laughs> Yeah. And look, I think we want to acknowledge a couple of people who have been helping behind the scenes brought on. Um, do you want to just maybe share what's been going on with those lovely ladies? Yes, we now have a little team going. Um, we've got Carrie-Anne from the Netherlands and we've got Karen in Australia with us. So we've got somebody working in the night shift um, and it's been great. And they are just so awesome and they're nice little chatty ladies, but they're also as help- helping us to share out the love as well of the podcast. Um, and we do need a little bit of help with that, don't we, Hayden? Yeah, and that's not going to get confusing. Karen and Carrie Ann, is mm. it? <laughs> well, Carrie Ann is yeah. honey to me, so you could call her honey, but I don't think that's appropriate. Okay, fair say. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. What we want to announce, which we're excited about, is in about uh, three weeks' time, a special Zoom episode, and that's going to involve us inviting eight special people to join mm. B&I for uh, a live-to-tape, so to speak, uh, broadcast podcast together, where we include some of our really, really important listeners to come join us and just talk about NXS as a bit of a community, uh, and we will record it live-to-tape, so to speak, and then put it together within our podcast. So we'd love to have sort of eight motivated, excited people from all corners of the globe sharing uh, in our discussion about in excess, which is exciting. Um, We sort of... Yeah, we sort of thought, you know, how do we pick and who do we choose from? Because there's been so much great fan engagement. Mm. But we sort of thought, well, look, if you're enjoying what we're doing and you're feeling like something that you're getting a kick out of, pardon the pun, <laughs> um, you know, we, we know there are people actively sharing this podcast out to other people, maybe introducing new members, you know, to the platform and the, and the podcast. You know, there are people who are really engaging through the questions and things. And we just probably like to look at that over the next weeks and then sort of handpick eight people people initially for this particular Zoom call yeah. and chances are we'll have to do another one not long after but mm-hmm. um, just initially we thought it might be a great sort of format uh, for, for people to get involved with B. Yeah, do you want me to explain how people can do that? If you could, I don't know if I explain it very well but yeah. to, to go, go for it. Okay, so realistically everyone's got to come onto the Facebook page because there will be a nice link for you um, to share. So if you can share it either, um, you can share it on to somebody else's page you can share it onto your personal page you can share it in a group and you can share it through messenger as well um, so there's about four different ways you can do that and I can see where it's been shared and who's sharing that but I also want to hear your names being mentioned so if people say thanks Vern or thanks Pedro or thanks Lisa I want to hear those names coming up a lot <laughs> What do you think, Hayden? Do you think yeah. people can do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, look, over the next three weeks, we're just going to be really monitoring the fan engagement and seeing who's maybe, you know, if that's what we're doing, you know, sharing some new listeners and friends who will come on board. And hopefully, you know, as a standalone thing, you don't have to be the most uber in excess fan. You know, maybe you like the content mm-hmm. or you like the nature of how we're talking about things the way we do. So, look as a uh, an exciting initiative in three weeks time we really really uh, look forward to doing that um so i guess look forward to the last thing we're going to do is uh we have talked about john farris earlier and there was one particular song in our montage that we omitted to put in and bees i've got a bit of visual of bee at the moment she's looking a bit quizzical i haven't actually even <laughs> shared this song anything. with her what we're doing but 
Wow. I haven't told you anything, but we're making a bit of tradition today, and we're not going to do a cover song. What we're going to do with our deep dives into each band member, we're going to do a tribute song. And what I mean by that is that we're going to do a song that maybe, you know, for example, in John's case, a, a song that he wrote, along with Michael, um, but a song that I think uh, and a lot of the fans think probably is exceptional uh, and maybe some fans on here have never heard it because maybe it wasn't wasn't on an album. So we are going to put one of uh, John's songs out there that was a B-side on the Heaven Sent CD oh, single in 1992. Okay. Now, this particular CD single is probably my favourite because it's got Heaven Sent as the lead track. It's got 11th Revolution by Tim Ferriss, which is a sort of a really cool guitar, mm-hmm. guitar-arama guitar riff that with no lyrics, it's instrumental. Yeah. It's got the Heaven Sent Waltz on it, which was the original Heaven Sent sort of uh, ballady version. But it's got this other song on it, uh, and maybe there's even a fifth song, but uh, there's this particular one from John and Michael wrote okay. together. is called Deepest Red. Yeah. And this to me is a fantastic song that should have made it onto X. Uh, it got onto the X Extended Edition or the Remastered Edition uh, a few years back. But it is a killer song. It's one that eventually will make it onto our deep... Well, actually, we're going to put it on. We're going to put it onto our deep dive. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's going straight on. Because even though it's out of chronology, we, you know, we, we really give an emphasis today. So it's going on to our dive uh, Spotify list. But it's called Deepest Red. Great vocal by Michael Vocal. Great um, rhythm, sort of keyboard, guitar, drums, everything in there. Rhythmic sound to it because it's a John track. But, uh, you know, three and a half minutes of pure joy. Take it away, listeners. Uh, enjoy it. We'll see you all next week. It's goodbye from me and B. And it's, yeah, it's a goodbye from B as well. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Hayden. Bye.